Go ahead and turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. Luke 21. And normally I, I preach a full-on message, but just because we had a bit of a hybrid night tonight, um, I'm going to be going through what I would call a quicker um, devotional, just to get us to understand uh, the text itself, to understand where we are, and really to set us up for what we are about to experience. If you've been with us, whether this semester or a year ago now, you'll know we've been going through the entire Gospel of Luke. Every uh, fall, we go through a New Testament book. Every spring, we go through uh, something in the Old Testament. So last fall, we went through the first half of the Gospel of Luke. And what we did is we, we take a chapter and we select for that week just a small portion of it, and we preach through that verse by verse. And we started that a year ago, and um, it, this is sort of the the... The end, right? This is the finish line that we're hitting now because tonight we are in chapter 21. And if you have your Bibles and you're just looking, you'll see there's not too many chapters left in the Gospel of Luke. There's just 24 chapters. And um, I'm, I'm a little sad in some ways because I feel like the Lord has done some amazing things through his word uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Um, but I'm also excited because it means that we've done some work together that we've been together, we've been in the Word, and we've seen a lot about who Jesus is. And that was the whole goal of this series. This series was for you to understand Jesus, to understand who it is that we say we believe in, to understand what he taught. And we've learned amazing things about him, right? Like we've learned, like last week, we talked about like my first point was, was simple, right? It was Jesus is awesome, right? But we learned sort of the depth of what that meant. And, and how wise he was, how authoritative he was, how powerful he was, and is, and still is. And we have seen him work time and time again in this group. And one of the, the cool points for me tonight is that this is sort of the last of Jesus's teachings. Luke chapter 21, it's the last of his public teachings. If you're looking ahead, you'll see that chapter 22 starts the plot to kill him. And it starts with the Passover. And if you're unfamiliar with scripture, uh, the Passover kicks off all the events that, le that lead to Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so this has some weight to it, right? Think about if this, if this was the last time we were to ever have group tonight, like if this is the last Thursday night we're ever going to have, um, or maybe this was my last time with you. If, if, if I knew this is the last time I'm ever going to preach to you, I'm ever going to speak to you about God's word, that has weight, doesn't it? We think about those things. We think, what, what are the last things that I would want to say to you as your college pastor? Jesus is ending his public teaching ministry. We see starting in the middle of Luke that he starts using these words as he headed towards Jerusalem. Like Luke is already setting up the idea that Jesus is going to die and he spends 12 chapters doing it. And then he records these moments right here where Jesus has his last words to his disciples. So to me, they have a lot of weight because the last thing he teaches and we think about those things. We think about the last things that we teach, the last things that we say. And, and I love what contains in here because it's, it's something that's not just one moment, 
but something he desires for us for our entire lives. Now, I know I've been talking about a lot. Let's actually get into it. So if you're looking at Luke chapter 21, you're going to see a lot of different teachings, but near the end there, he starts getting into, if you're looking at like verse 20, verse 25, we've got uh, Jesus foretells the destruction of Jerusalem, the coming of the son of man, the lesson of the fig tree. And really what Jesus is doing, he's talking about the end times. He's talking about the end times, the, the, the day that is coming in which the world will end. The day in which mankind will be judged. And what he's doing, he's, he's letting his disciples know things they should expect. And if you come to our church, if you're here on Sunday mornings, uh, you hear these things, right? Every Sunday morning, for the most part, we're going through the book of Revelation. And we are learning as a church the things we should expect, the things that we should see. And if you've been listening, you've actually realized, like, man, there's so many things that are so obvious that are going to be happening in culture. And, and we see those happening. And this is the same thought. Like, Jesus is teaching these things to his disciples but he doesn't end with a date. He doesn't end with like expected in two years from now. He doesn't end with like, yeah, this country's going to conquer this country and then I'm going I'm to rip open the heavens. Instead, what he does is he ends with an application point. So if you're glancing through the text, in verse 10, he's talking about war and persecution. He's talking about Jerusalem being destroyed in 20. He's talking about how he'll come back in verse 25. And if you go down there to verse 34, he's got this response. And what is that response? What is it that Jesus decides to tell his disciples at the end of his public ministry? It's the name of the, the message, actually. Watch out. Watch out. And I get that because it literally says, if you look at the first verse there, it says, but watch yourselves. That's what Jesus says to them. Like after he talks about all of the end times and the things that they should expect while he's gone and how he's going to come back, he says, watch out. And that's something that we say um, in times of distress or, or danger, right? Like as I was going through this and, and thinking through it, like thinking about someone that might be stepping into the street as a car's oncoming, right? What is our natural language to say to them if we're trying to get their attention because they don't see that they're about to walk in front of a car? We say, watch out! It has this statement of protect yourself, guard yourself, pay attention. And that's Jesus's natural thing to say here. So I've set it up. Let's actually get into it. Uh, verse 34, that's where we are. Chapter 21, verse 34. I'm just going to read these couple verses, then we'll get into our points tonight. So Jesus, after saying all these things, he turns to his disciples and he says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So here's what I want to do tonight. We like to go verse by verse, right? We believe the Word of God is authoritative. We believe that it speaks to our hearts and our lives, and we believe that we want to get as much out of it as we possibly can. And so um, we take things verse by verse, but I want to change it up tonight, and I want to take it just a little bit out of order. And the reason I want to do that is so that we can really see the point of the application. So the first point tonight that I really want to draw out of this is in verse 35. So in verse 35... Let's look at it again. 
It says, for it will come, speaking of the end of days, it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And, and, and here's the first point for tonight. It's that all roads lead to the end. All roads lead to the end. I, I'm sure you've heard the, the saying, all roads lead to Rome. It's this concept that no matter where you go, it comes back to something. That's the point of, of this verse, verse 35. I mean, Jesus makes a specific point to point out to the disciples that it's not just them that's going to experience the end. It's not just them that's going to see the end of days and the coming judgment and the heavens ripped open. It's not just them that's going to see Jesus coming back to collect his people and to be with his people. But he says, all who dwell on the face of the earth. So when I say all roads lead to the end, this, this is what stood out to me as I was, I was studying this this week. It's that everybody who has ever existed, starting with Adam and Eve, going to King David, Einstein, Hitler, any of the famous people we know, Picasso, Van Gogh, right? Like just, just name a famous person from history. Every single one of those people and every single one of us we are all going to experience one thing in common. See, we're all born in different places, right? We all have different families, different parents, different ambitions. We all look different. We all have unique gifts and talents and abilities. We all have different desires. I mean, um, we all have different ideas for what we're going to do with our lives, right? There are so many things that are unique and individual about us and so many things that have been unique and individual about humans throughout history. But we all have one thing in common. No matter when we were born, no matter where we were born, no matter who we were born to, we have one thing in common. And that's that we will all experience the end. All roads lead to the end. Your life is heading there the same that my life is heading there. The same that the lives of the thousands and millions and millions and billions of people before us will head there. It's pretty cool, I think, right? Like, it's, it's a really cool concept that um, we have all these differences, but we have something that we're all looking towards. And then that's really what Jesus is getting to. He sets up this whole thing, right, about the end of times. And then he says, by the way, everyone's going to experience it. And the reason I, why I wanted to make this point first before we got into the other verses, verses 34 and verses 36, is because I want you to sort of have this concept of not just like corporately will everyone experience it, but you too are going to experience it. You too will be at the end of days someday. And now we can understand that the next words that Jesus says, they do apply to us. For anybody, especially if you claim to be a Christian, right? If you claim to be a disciple of Christ and a follower, they, they apply to you too because of the words that he said. And so all roads lead to the end. And, and what does Jesus say next? Let's, let's summarize it like this. Second point is, so be on guard, right? All roads lead to the end, so be on guard. If you look at verse 34, again, this is sort of where I get that lingo. Let me pull it up. But watch yourselves, be on guard, just another way to say that, right? Just wanted to give you a few different ways to think about it. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down 
with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. So Jesus wants them to know, hey, you're going to experience this, this end. I've given you signs for when it's going to come. And because of that, here's what I want. I want you to be on guard. I want you to watch yourself. And he gives three things that we, that we should watch ourselves in, right? Like, let's look back at them and take them just one point at a time. So, lest your hearts be weighed down. Like, that's, that statement is so unique. Right? Your hearts be weighed down. Like, the idea that something is dragging you, it's pulling you. Your hearts be weighed down. And let's look at that first word. If you have the ESV, it says dissipation. What is dissipation? I don't know how many times I've read this and I just sort of like breezed over it and didn't realize um, that there's an and. Like if you're looking at the words, it says with dissipation and drunkenness. I don't know why. I think I just assumed dissipation and drunkenness were in the same vein of things. Um, but actually it's different. Dissipation, the best way to describe it and, and the definition of it is the squandering of resources, the squandering of what you've been given. So the idea here is that Jesus is saying, watch yourselves lest you be weighed down by you squandering what the Lord has given, the opportunities that he's given you, the things that he's called you to. Like if he's called you as a disciple, as a follower, he's gifted you to serve his church. He's gifted you to live a life that glorifies him. And he's saying, watch out, lest you take those things that he has given you and you waste them and you throw them away. We say it all the time here. We have the, the statement, don't waste your life. We grabbed it from uh, John Piper's book, don't waste your life. We say it a lot. If you've been to our cross conference, you've been to anything that's outreach focused, like it's a running theme in our lives that we want to take what the Lord has given us and turn it over to him to glorify him. And that's this part right here. Watch yourselves lest you waste your life. You squander the things that the Lord has given you. So that's the first thing Jesus tells us to, to watch out for. The second thing is drunkenness. Now you're like, okay, I know what drunkenness means, Cody. Yeah, but actually drunkenness isn't just like drinking alcohol. That's not the concept here. So the word drunkenness is implied several times throughout scripture to be a lifestyle of overindulgence. And it's, it's true here. We see it uh, in first Peter. It talks about it quite a bit where it says like uh, Thessalonians as well, live a sober life, one that is awake and prepared for the Lord. The whole concept here is to be on guard, not only from wasting your life, but to be on guard from overindulging in the things of the world. Drunkenness is the idea of over, like specific drunkenness, right, is, is overindulging in alcohol. But when we say a drunkenness lifestyle, or like when Jesus is speaking here, he's talking about the indulgence of the world, the things of the world. So not only are we called not to waste our lives, we're called not to love the world so much that all we do is just overindulge in it. We just satisfy our hearts and our desires. We live our entire life just feeding ourselves with money, feeding ourselves with fame and celebrity and social media and whatever it is that speaks to your heart, whatever it is that you find satisfaction in, but you sort of realize that it doesn't actually satisfy you. Like that's the thing that drunkenness is applying to in your life. The overindulgence indulgence of the things of the world. So that's the second thing. And, and the third thing we see is and cares of this 
life. So if the first one's not wasting your life and the second one is not overindulging in the things of this world that have been given, the third would be cares of this life. And the word cares has two meanings and both of them are implied in this passage, right? So cares of life can mean, can mean two things. One, it can actually mean the things that the world cares for. The cares of this life can be the things that the world cares for. But we just sort of talked about that, right? With, with the overindulgence and the things the world desires and the things we fill ourselves up with the world. But also, the cares of this life can be exactly what it says, like in First Peter. And it says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. The proper translation is cast your anxieties on him. So what Jesus is saying here is like, yeah, he's hitting the way that you spend your life. He's hitting the way that you live in the world. And now he's, li- now he's like hitting us on the way that we react to the world. Like when he says, like, watch out for the cares of this life. He's saying, like, watch out for the anxieties that are driven into you by this world. Now, I know some of you, the word anxiety is a buzzword, right? Like, I say it and your mind just goes off because you have social anxiety, because you have anxiety stemming from trauma and things like that. And, and, and yes, this is all classified. When I say anxieties, it, it encapsulates all of those things. But I know, like, every time I mention anxieties, I know I need to make the caveat, right? That there's, there's like, a a responsive physical anxiety that happens. And then there are those who choose to give into anxiety because they do not trust God. And and I'm talking to those who give into anxiety because they lack a fear of the Lord and rather they fear the world, right? I'm, I'm talking to those who do not trust the Lord enough in their life who do not give their life over to him. I'm talking about those who out of anxiety and fear choose the safe route rather than choosing the holy route. Talking about those who live their life motivated on protecting themselves, live a life motivated on glorifying themselves because it's easier and it feels better rather than stepping into something that, yeah, might cause some anxiety, meaning the unknown. It might cause you to trust the Lord. So am I clear in that? I'm clear that there is an anxiety that is physically driven, that's a responsive. I'm not telling you that like your panic attacks are sin, right? That's not what I'm saying. So hear me now. The pastor did not step up and just tell you to get over it, okay? That is not what he said. But what he did say was that there is life that is driven by anxiety that is sinful. And so that is the other thing that, that we see here. So sort of hard and heavy already, right? Like Jesus is saying, watch out. And then he sort of hits you hard with these things. And these are his disciples. And he's telling them like, hey, watch out for drunkenness. Don't waste your life. Don't give over to the, the cares of this life. And so at the moment, I'm feeling sort of overwhelmed, right? In my study here, I was like, man, I'm going to have to stand up in front of all these people and I'm going to have to just tell them don't suck, right? That's, that's pretty much what I'm saying to you. And it, it feels hard. And it is hard. Holiness is hard. But I love what Jesus says in verse 36. If you look at verse 36, not only does Jesus set up that it's hard in this passage, but man, he, he sets up that he's going to be the one to get you through it. Verse 36, but stay awake 
at all times. There's that be alert again, right? Like guard yourself, like pay attention. But he gives the solution. Look at it. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Lord. So, so our third point for tonight is, and pray for strength. All roads lead to the end. So be on guard and pray for strength. And this is a really important point because what is your initial reaction when you read things and the Bible says, don't do this? Probably two different ones, right? Some of you are like, don't tell me what to do. I do what I do. I do what I want. I love what I love. You're not going to throw some religious rules on me. Yeah, there's going to be some of us that do that. But then there's some of us that go into correction mode, right? Self-righteous mode. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do everything I can. Like I saw this illustration once, and I thought this was an amazing illustration. It was at our church a few years ago. Some guest pastor came in, and he had a, like a giant like Nerf ball, but it, it was almost like those dodgeballs we use, like those marshmallow dodgeballs, right? But it was like, it was almost like one of those, but the, the plastic had been ripped off of it, and so it's just the foam. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I got some nods. So, and he was talking about how our initial reaction when it comes to desiring righteousness and, and when it comes to desiring to, to not do these things, which is a healthy desire, right? Like for Jesus to say, don't do this, and then for us not to want to do it, that's good. Um, but he's saying our initial reaction oftentimes is to take that Nerf ball and hold on to it, right? And try to control it and shape it and turn it into the shape of your hand, just like we try to turn ourselves into the shape of holiness. But if I were to give each and every one of you a Nerf ball like that and say, do that, right? Squeeze it to where it fits in your hand and just hold it there. Every single one of us knows that eventually sometime in our life, we're going to let go. That eventually sometime in our life, we're not going to have the strength that we tried to have in ourselves. For some of us, that might be a few seconds, some of us a few minutes, for you stubborn ones, a few hours, maybe a few days, right? But eventually, we're going to let go and what's going to happen? That ball's just going to go right back, right? The illustration is that that's what happens when we try to do it in our own strength. Because all we try to do is take all of this and shove it into something smaller. We just caught my son uh, the other day um, hiding clothes in his backpacks in his bedroom so that his room was clean. But essentially what he was trying to do is take this massive amount of work he had and shove it into a bag to make the work smaller, right? You're not making it smaller, you're just changing its shape. And that's what we try to do. That's what I'm getting for. That's what we try to do. But what does Jesus say to do? He says, and pray for strength. And when we pray, who are we expecting to answer the prayer? Are we expecting, our, like, do we pray? And then we're like, oh, and I'm going to answer that prayer too. Like, I'm pretty much praying to myself. No, like, we pray to God, and Scripture says to pray to God, because God is the one that answers that prayer. So when we're praying for strength, that means that God is the one giving us that strength. And so it's like, this is a really hopeful statement, because all roads lead to the end, so we need to be on guard, but we have this amazing opportunity to pray for the strength to do it. The same God that asks these things of us is the same God that equips us to do these things. It's, it's so beautiful. 
So pray for strength, and I just want to end by pointing out what he says to pray for strength for. Look at those last two lines. Like, this is easy to breeze over too. So right here it says, pray for strength, and then he has two things. One is to escape all these things that are going to take place. Pray for strength to escape all these things. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus is saying, pray that you don't have to go through it, right? Pray your life will just be done before the end of the world comes. That's the initial statement, but we know that's not true because he actually just said that everyone is going to experience it, right? So that can't be it. If Jesus says everyone's going to experience it, and then he says, pray for strength that you can escape it, clearly they're both true somehow, right? So we know that it's not just pray that you're not going to be there. So what does he mean escape these things? He's referencing all the things he told us to be on guard from. Right? He's referencing all the things previously. He's like, pray that you may escape all these things. Like, be on guard from the, those three things that we listed and, and pray that you may escape all these things. And it says that are going to take place because what it's saying is there's going to be punishment for those things. Right? There is a punishment for our sins. We know that it is. Romans says the, the wages of sin is death. And if we live a life in which we continue to sin because we actually don't care, we actually haven't given our lives over to the Lord, like we might give him lip service, we might say we're a Christian, but we don't live a life that shows that we follow after him, what that's saying is that there is a punishment for that. And Jesus is saying, pray, like he's saying this to his disciples even. He's saying, pray that your life is authentic. Pray that you have a sincere faith. Pray that the Lord would give you those things. He would give you the strength to have that sincere faith. Pray that the Lord would give it to you so that you can escape all that's going to come. But, and, and this is how I know that what I just said to be true, look at that second statement. To escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The Son of Man, we don't have time to get into it. It's how Jesus references himself in Luke. That's how we know it to be true, though, what I just said. Jesus says, pray for strength, not only that You'll have a sincere faith that you'll escape all those things, but pray for the strengths that you'll stand before me. To stand before the Lord. Now, why? Why does that sound cool? Why, why does that matter to us? It's because the concept is that those that are fearful, those that are unworthy, what are they going to do? They're going to cower. They're going to scramble. We learned in Revelation that it says they're going to try to hide in the hills. What Jesus is saying, pray that you have the strength and the faith that when I come, you'll stand ready for me. You'll be joyful to receive it. You'll love it. You'll desire it. There are those that are fleeing and trying to escape. You'll be with me. And you'll be standing before me, confident, I love that Jesus, in every single way, and, and this is why this passage was so important to me. You know, I choose every passage, right? Like, we have a whole chapter, and then I choose just a little bit. The reason this little chunk was so important to me is because of this concept of us trying to do it in our own strength, and the Lord providing his strength, and then allowing us to stand before him. He's the one that gave us the strength, and yet he's the one that's allowing us to also stand before him. Like, I just want to drive into you that holiness is not something that you just act Right? It's something that's given and something you desire and something you live. 
So that's Jesus's last teaching before, uh, you, well, you see right there, chapter 22, the plot to kill Jesus is about to get real serious, guys. I mean, in, in like two weeks, Jesus is going to be dead, right? So we are really at the point of understanding everything Jesus taught and coming to the climax of the gospel story. So stick with us over the next few weeks as we dive into the resurrection. And how cool is it that Christmas is coming up and we're going to be talking about the birth of Christ and also talking about the death of Christ all in the same two weeks. Like that's pretty phenomenal to see sort of the beginning and the end of his earthly time. So that's what we're going to be doing. Um, let me pray for us. And I should say, if you have any questions, if you'd like to talk more about this, this is just a thousand foot view, right? If you'd like to talk more about this, come find me afterwards. Find anybody with one of these name tags on and Hannah because she forgot her name tag today, but she prayed for the Unreach People group, so you know. Um, find any of us, we'd love to talk to you, help you out with that, and figure out how you can have this type of sincere faith, right? Lord, thank you so much for this time that we get to love you through opening your word, to hear who you are, Jesus, to see your teachings, and I pray, Lord, that you continue to speak to our hearts. Um, Father, that this message would sit in us, that in our C groups we would discuss it, that um, it would be something we live our lives on on a daily basis, Lord, that we would be on guard, that we would watch ourselves, but we would do it in the strength that you provide. And I ask, Lord, for our time together now, as we get together to be in fellowship, that you would teach us the true meaning of fellowship, that it's not just friends hanging out, Lord, but that it's a way of building into one another, understanding one another, knowing one another, to love one another deeper, to glorify you more. Lord, would you teach us that as we gather together tonight? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.